0: Oh, good morning. So uh, this morning uh, we're in the midst of our series on uh, called The Way, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that, but before I do, I just want to make one last announcement uh, that uh, tomorrow evening right here in this space at uh, 7 p.m., uh, our uh, we're United Methodist Church, and the bishop of uh, all the United Methodist Churches of New Jersey will be here in attendance, and there's details in your bulletin about that, but it's a special meeting where he will share with us about an upcoming vote the United Methodist Church will be having in uh, February, To uh, and he'll be here to talk about uh, the issue of human sexuality and, and the church's response and how we'll be moving forward in that. So you're invited to be a part of that tomorrow evening, 7 p.m., uh, right here in this space. And if you have questions, questions, questions about that, you can ask me about that uh, afterward, and I'd be happy to speak with you. So today is the last week in this series on prayer, uh, where we are talking about the way of Jesus, that we're continuing to look at the way that Jesus would live. And as followers of Jesus, we want to follow in the same steps as Jesus. And we believe that there is a way or a certain way that we can live, a way that when we live that way, we can be identified as someone who follows Jesus. Now, uh, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus told his disciples, That he came to give life and to give an abundant life, and so we believe that if we follow in this way of Jesus, it will lead to an abundant life for us as we live. And uh, as a matter of fact, if you read in Acts, there's uh, there's uh, the. Saul, who was the persecutor of the church, before he converted to Christianity and became Paul, his name was Saul. And when Saul was persecuting the church, he was given a license to go out and attack people of the way. They were called the way. These people who were living in this first century were living in such a different way as their culture that they became called the way. And that was, uh, that's kind of where we got the idea for the series. Now, um, Paul later, after he's converted, he then changed, even added to that. And he said that it's not only the way, it's the way of love. And he talks about those things throughout his letters. So this way of living, we believe, is attractional. The first century church was had incredible exponential growth. And as I've been looking, as as we've been talking about having two campuses and as we've been uh, coming up with ways to communicate what hope does to the world around, uh, you know, we've looked at different marketing strategies and all those kinds of things. And what I find so fascinating is that the first century church, if they were to use, if they had Facebook or if they were able to mail out postcards, if they had a marketing strategy, you know what their slogan would be? It would be, come join us, you'll be persecuted. But yet somehow... Knowing that over the centuries they would be persecuted, the first first 200 years of its existence, first two or three hundred years of its existence, yet somehow they had exponential growth without having buildings to meet in, without having all the things that we would consider, uh, uh, without having Facebook. For, are you kidding me? Uh, without having all these things that we have available to us, this church continued to grow. It was growing like in leaps and bounds. Like it's just fascinating that this happened all because they were living a certain way. So that's why we're having this series, because we believe that we're in the midst of a time when people living differently than our culture, differently than the, the people around us, that's going to bring others to faith in Christ. So some things that uh, I'm kind of using as the backdrop for this series as we're looking at it, just a few thoughts that I want you to keep at the forefront of your mind is that we live in a broken world, and, and that doesn't need to be uh, repeated. Uh, everyone kind of, you would all agree with that, that this world that we live in is broken. Uh, the news makes it very clear that the world that we are part of is a broken world, and it's filled with fear, and it's filled with hatred, and it's filled with anger, and it's just a broken world broken world. The next piece is a little bit harder for us maybe to accept, but yet I have to say that we are responsible. As men and women living in this world, we are responsible for it. We bring our brokenness into every situation. And so we bring our deceit, and we bring our arrogance, and we bring our, uh, 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 we bring, uh, um, um, what else do we bring? We bring our damaged relationships, we bring all this stuff into our world, and so we've caused the brokenness. I was just sitting over on the side uh, earlier and speaking with someone, and we were talking about the, the amount of money and things that we spend on things like sporting events and all, and and, and if you were to collectively figure out how much, we got talking about the Eagles and their playing. Playing in London, and we were talking about all those things, right? Because all you folks are fine with that the Eagles are playing right now because you're DVRing it or you're watching it on your phone without me knowing. I know what you're doing, and we were talking about how much money and stuff is spent on that, but yet we have a world that lacks clean water and lacks uh, proper nutrition and all those things. And so we're responsible for this brokenness that's in this world. It's a broken world. We're responsible, and we are responsible. We have responsibility to change this world. We have responsibility to bring healing to this world. And I believe that it won't happen by things like legislature. It won't happen by who we vote for. The world will change because of the local church. It's a force when it is healthy and when it is done well. It can change communities. And when communities can change, then towns can change. When towns can change, states can change, and the world can change. And it had happened in the first century, it can happen still. And so... That's kind of the backdrop for this series as we're looking at that. Now, another important distinction that I've been talking about when I've been teaching on this series is that as we're following Jesus's way, this is more than just memorization. We're not memorizing things to do. We're not just creating a spiritual to-do list. And if I do these things, I'll kind of plug and play and fill these things in. This is about personal experiences, about a lifelong relationship and journey. It's about this process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ for the sake of others. You Say that often. It's this having an understanding and a belief that begins to flow from within us and it causes our lives to be changed. And so that's where we are in this series called The Way. So the plan for this morning's message is, uh, uh, it may seem confusing, but I promise it makes sense. We're gonna, it worked in the last service, so it'll work again. We're going to read a story of Jesus and his disciples, then we're going to pause, and then we're going to read a New Testament story from the book of Acts, then we're going to go back to the story, because Jesus then offers some teaching, and I promise we're going to be all over the place, but we're going to end up right here when we're all done. Everyone on board? All right, I got 22 and a half minutes. So up on the screen in Luke chapter 11, verse one, it says this, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, he was in a certain place and he was praying. And as he finished, one of his disciples came up to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples. And then right after that, Uh, Those very next verses, Jesus shares the Lord's Prayer as an example of how to pray. But what I want us to notice is that it seems that one of his disciples had just witnessed how Jesus was praying. And something about the way Jesus prayed inspired this disciple to say, I want to pray like that. Jesus, teach me to pray like that. Have you ever heard someone pray and you have thought, wow, they know how to pray. When I was a a little kid, I used to go to summer camp. It was Delanco camp. It still exists out in Tabernacle. All the buildings are about to fall over, but it still exists. And uh, when I was... uh, uh, when I was there, there were different pastors would come out, and they would teach Bible classes to the kids. And so there I was, a uh, you know, 10, 11, 12-year-old, and I would go to these Bible classes. Well, there was a gentleman there. His name, he was Reverend Milton Collins. He was, I thought he was ancient. He probably was only in his 50s. But I thought he was ancient back then. And But he also was really tall, and he, this was a second career as a pastor, and he had had some other career that caused him to have these, like, he he was just one giant callus on his hands. His hands were just big, and his hands seemed just, 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 he just was a tough guy. And he had that military haircut, but he wasn't in the military. Like his hair was cropped and it was shaved off the top, like straight across. And he just was just this really and really incredibly strong man. And everyone at camp called him Uncle Milt. And those who really knew him well would call him Uncle Milty. I just preferred to call him Uncle Milt. Didn't know him that well. And I remember hearing him pray one time. And this big, strong, powerful man would pray these simple, humble, gentle prayers it was as if he was talking to Jesus in person. And we would sit together at lunch in the dining hall of that camp and we would try to decide where Milt Collins fit in the spiritual lineup of great heroes. And we had decided, and I don't think it works like this, but we had decided that it probably went God and then Jesus and then the holy spirit and right there at 4 creeping up on the holy spirit probably would have been milk collins we were sure of that that he was that he was best friends with jesus so this disciple has heard jesus praying watched jesus praying something about the way jesus was praying inspired him to say jesus We want to pray like that. What are you doing? We want to do that. And so hit the pause button because now we're going to jump to a story in Acts. It's the first century followers of Jesus. As I said earlier, they're experiencing exponential growth because of the way they're living. They don't have church buildings, yet these early followers for the next few centuries are going to grow exponentially. And their tagline could be, uh, come join us, you'll be persecuted. But yet people still want to be part of this new church. Now, back around to Acts chapter 12, Peter's been arrested by King Herod. He's likely been arrested because of political motivations. He's been placed under the guard of four soldiers. These are soldiers who are trained to be prison guards. Typically, a prisoner would be chained by one hand uh, to, uh, 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 to, to one soldier. But Herod, making a point, we guess, or because he was concerned that Peter would escape, he has Peter chained to two soldiers, one on either side. He also has two other soldiers, who they work together, these four soldiers work together uh, as a unit, and these other two are guarding the prison entrance. And they work a four-hour shift, and there are four, sh- four different groups of soldiers. So there's 16 men. Their responsibility is to make sure that Peter stays in jail. They change shifts every four hours so that they're awake, and so that they're alert, and so that they're able to keep track of their prisoner. And Acts chapter 12, verse 5 says this. Just listen, it's not on the screen. But while Peter was in prison, chained to these two guards, while two were at the entrance, the church prayed very earnestly for him. Now, Peter, we find out as we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 12, Peter's been in jail for some time. Uh, and um, um, all that the story tells us is that this is the night before he's about to go to trial. And the story says that an angel shows up and Peter is sleeping. And evidently the four guards are sleeping as well because the angel walks into the jail cell and taps Peter on the shoulder and wakes him up. Peter wakes up thinks he's in a dream because he's seeing an angel because that's what everybody thinks when they see an angel. And so he's sure he's in a dream. And the angel uh, says, get up. And he realizes he's no longer in chains. So Peter is completely confused. And if you read the story, it's awesome. It really says this. He's so confused that the angel says, get up, let's go. And when he gets up to go, the angel says, you forgot your coat. And he actually sends him back to get his coat. It's really in there, all right? And so Peter goes back, picks up his coat, and he leaves. Then the story says that when he got outside the jail cell, that's when Peter realized this isn't a dream. This is really happening. And so we're going to pick up the story right there. In Acts chapter 12, it's up on the screen. When Peter understood what had happened... Ha! Huh, not in the dream. He went to Mary's house. Now Mary was the mother of John Mark. The reason that uh, Luke is telling us that is he's letting us know they're in the upper room. This is the same place where Jesus had celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples. And this home, uh, Mary's home, was the place where they would was centrally uh, where they would uh, kind of their base of operations in Jerusalem. Okay, so that's why Luke is telling us that. Many people had gathered in her, in her home. They were praying there. This is the same group that was praying. For the last few nights, Peter knocked at the outer entrance. There's like a gate, a doorway to get into the home. A servant named Rhoda came to to answer the door. She recognized Peter's voice because Peter said, hey, it's me, Peter. She was so excited that she ran back without opening the door. She didn't unlock the door. She didn't open it. So Peter's on the other side of the doorway. Rhoda, Rhoda. And she starts excitedly exclaiming, Peter is at the door. They're praying for Peter's release. That's what they're praying for. So she went to the upper room where they're all gathered. And what are they praying for? They're praying for Peter's release. God, please release Peter. God, please release Peter. And Rhoda says, Peter's out front. And they're saying, what did they say? Are you kidding me? Rhoda, relax. This is impossible. We're praying for it, but we don't believe it'll really happen. What do they say in verse 15 up on the screen? You're out of your mind. But she kept telling him it was true. So they said they said to her, it must be his angel. It's more believable that an angel shows up than that Peter would be free. What are they praying for? So verse 16, Peter keeps knocking. He's like, "Come on, guys, I've been in jail." I just want to take my shoes off. When they opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. Yeah. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. Settle down, folks. Let me tell you what happened. And he explained how the Lord had brought him out of prison. They were praying, but they were surprised by the answer. They were so surprised they didn't believe the answer. They didn't see the answer. Only Rhoda could see the answer. All right. Back to our story, Jesus and his disciples. The disciple has just said, Jesus, I want to pray like that. We want to pray like that. And Jesus gives the example of the Lord's Prayer. And then he does something else. He tells a parable. Now, a parable is, is a, the Greek word literally means to lay a, so, something laid alongside. Let me explain it. Something, so it's meant for comparison. That's the reason Jesus told stories. Uh, and the reason he told parables was to compare two things. So I have, I uh, wanted to help you understand what that would mean. So I'm laying two things alongside each other to help you understand them. All right. A man cold versus a mom cold. You guys get that, right? Do you see how I laid these two things alongside each other? A man cold is devastating. It can knock you off your feet. Men, are we on agreement on this, right? I'm preaching now, aren't I, right? Yeah. I mean, it just, the, the the pressure in the head is overwhelming. I mean, so much so that we have to lay down. And we need as many pain killing options as possible to get through a man cold. Now let me lay that alongside a mom cold. A mom cold can be caught from a man cold, but it doesn't have the same effect. Moms can still do all the things that moms do and survive a man cold, a mom cold. Do you see how I laid one thing alongside another, and how there? looking at both, you saw how they compared to each other, right? That was a parable, all right? It's comparing two things, something laid alongside. So now Jesus tells the story. The disciples said, we want to pray like you. How do we pray like that? And Jesus says this, so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for keep on seeking and you will find keep on knocking and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives everyone who seeks finds and to everyone who knocks the door will be open Jesus says keep on asking keep on seeking keep on knocking now this isn't about pestering God until God finally gives in to our wishes that's not what Jesus is going to t- is talking about and he's going to go on in just a moment but when Jesus comes to the next verse, uh, get go- gave the Lord's prayer. As an example, he said, pray like this. And he said, ask for things every day. God, give us today. Give me enough food for today. God, take care of the needs that I have for today. And he says, you can keep asking and you can keep seeking and you can keep knocking. And then he goes on and here's the parable. It's up on the screen. You fathers or you parents, we can use... You parents, if your children ask for a fish. Now, what kid asks for fish? That's what somebody said at the last service, goldfish, right? Yes. If your kid asks for those little cracker goldfish, do you give him a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? That would be fun. What does Jesus say? He says, of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, here's where he lays it alongside, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more? How much more? If you want to give good gifts to your children, how much more do you think your heavenly Father wants to give? Jesus is is putting our gift-giving desires and gift-giving tendencies alongside God's gift-giving desires and tendencies. Let me try to uh, uh, tease this out a little bit further. Uh, I'm a parent. I have three children. They're 23, 20, and 16. Our youngest, Jordan, is 16 years old. And for the last decade, Jordan has loved Chick-fil-A. Jordan has an incredible passion for Chick-fil-A. It's waned a little bit now that she's older, because she's, you know, she's 16. She's mature. She's almost an adult, right? But when she was six, if you asked her, "What do you want for breakfast?" You, it was like, you're setting yourself up because she's going to say Chick-fil-A. What do you want for lunch? Chick-fil-A. What do you want for dinner? Chick-fil-A. For years, she sits right over there and she's there this morning. She sits right over there and after service, if you were to say to her, what do you want to do for lunch? What do you want to have for lunch? She would say Chick-fil-A. And then we would say, it's Sunday, they're closed and her face would drop. And we did it every Sunday. Now, here's the thing. The reason I tell you that is that I'm a good parent. People tell me I'm a good parent. My kids mostly tell me I'm a good parent. And Kelly and I, my wife, we like to give our kids good gifts. So we will go to Chick-fil-A because we want to give Jordan a good gift because we know she likes Chick-fil-A. Here's a little secret. I don't. I don't like Chick-fil-A. It's fine. It's just not my preference. It's not where I would go if I were going out to eat. But what we like to do is surprise Jordan with Chick-fil-A because we know it's what she likes and it brings her joy. How much more does your heavenly father, who is a good, good parent, want to give you? And what does your good, good parent want to give you? God's a God who knows your needs better than we know them ourselves. God gives with a heart of generosity. God gives. John 3.16, which is one of the verses that everybody memorized, even if you didn't go to church, we all kind of know it. It's for God loved the world so much that God gave. God gave. It's what God does. God gives. It's part of his essence. It's part of who he is. God just gives. And if God doesn't give, it's not a refusal, it's because something better is available. You see, because I'm praying over and over and over again, God, please give me Chick-fil-A, please give me Chick-fil-A, please give me Chick-fil-A, please give me Chick-fil-A. And God is saying, Rick, hold on, Cheesecake factory is right around the corner. And it's a good, good gift. See, but I'm so busy praying Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A. Why won't God meet my need? How much more does your heavenly Father want to give you? And what does Jesus say that we're given? It says we're given the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment, that we're given the Holy Spirit. How much more we're given the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit. Here's how I want you to remember this. This is the thing you got to remember when you leave here. It's really simple. It's, it's a formula. It's up on the screen. All right. It's HS is greater than CFA. All right. The Holy Spirit is greater than Chick-fil-A. We're, we're, like, we're like theological giants here. All right. The Holy Spirit is greater than Chick-fil-A. Tell somebody that tomorrow. Okay. I just want to say, you know what I learned in church today? The Holy Spirit is greater than Chick-fil-A. All right. All right, so God gives the Holy Spirit, and it's better than Chick-fil-A, and here's what I'm getting at. This is the way of Jesus. We're talking about how Jesus lived life, how Jesus prayed right now, is how we're, and, and that when we live this way, it's going to bring exponential growth to people around us, that we can pray earnestly and intimately, that we can pray as if we're talking to a good, good parent, Who knows all our need and is interested in the things that we desire and is interested in hearing about what's going on in our lives? That we can pray to a God who knows everything we need and gives good gifts. A God who gives you and promises you a spirit. And get this this is what the spirit does two things it gives you godly eyes and ears to see how God is working see you've you uh, when I pray the pastoral prayer, I often leave a pause where you can lift up prayers. And then when I close that portion out, I will say, and God, I pray that as we offer these prayers to you, that you would help us to see with your eyes and your ears so that we would see and hear the way that you're working in and through the world and through our lives so that we can see how you're answering prayers and how we could be the answer to someone else." his prayers. That's what God's spirit does for us. That's why Jesus says that, that, that when you pray, God's going to give you the Holy Spirit. When you ask, he'll give you the Holy Spirit because then you'll have the eyes and ears to see the world the way God sees the world. That we'll see the brokenness that exists in our world and we'll say, God, this isn't right and I need to change it. And in doing that change, we are bringing an answer to prayer. Maybe our own prayers, but more than likely someone else's prayers. That it's leading us to answer someone else's prayers. Corey Ten Boom says this, it's up on the screen. We never know how God will answer our prayers, but we can expect that he will get us involved in his plan for the answer if you are true intercessors, we must be ready to take part in God's work on behalf of the people for whom we pray. The eyes and ears of Jesus, so that we can see and hear how God is leading us to be the answer to someone else's prayers. And God will lead us to involvement, that we'll be involved in this world, whether it be here on Sunday mornings, but more likely, it's where we'll be on Monday morning because that's when we're back as part of that broken world. See, here's what I know about the broken world is that there are fewer and fewer people who participate in faith communities. They understand faith. They may even have spiritual beliefs, but they don't want to be part of a community and they don't want to be part of a Christian community because they have a misunderstanding about how Christian communities work. At the same time, they've probably had experiences where they've been, Uh, Hurt by those Christian communities, and that's why they're not part of them. So here's the reality, is that because generation after generation, fewer and fewer people have been part of church, there's no longer a, as soon as they have kids, they'll come back to church. That's what we used to think, right? As soon as they have kids, they'll come back to church. Since they were never part of church, they can't come back to something that they were never part of. So it it's kind of like this. If I were to drive down the highway and I were to see a Buddhist temple, I would see it and have no understanding of what happens inside that building. I don't know what it's like. I don't know who I'd see in there. I wouldn't know where to go or what to do when I walked in. It would be foreign. As, and more than likely, I wouldn't even notice it as I drive by. It's just another building in the landscape. That's the way the majority of the people that we see at school and at work, they drive by church buildings and they have no idea what happens inside there. They have no idea what's going on around there. It's just another building. But they know you and they know what you look like and they know how you live. And if we choose to live a certain way, if we chose to follow in the steps of the rabbi Jesus and walk in his way and do the things that he did and learn to pray like he prayed, we are promised that the Holy Spirit is better than Chick-fil-A and that it will give us the eyes and ears of faith that will see the world and our hearts will break the way God's heart breaks for the world. And we'll understand and we'll be guided towards ways that we can impact and change the world around us. That, my friends, is the way we make a difference in our world. So let's pray together, and then the band's going to come up and lead us in a closing song. So God, I thank you for, I thank you, God, that there was a disciple who saw you praying and was inspired to ask you to teach us how to pray. And because of that, you gave us this example, and you taught us that there's this simple authentic communication that we can have with the God of the universe. A God that loves us, a God that knows us, a God that wants to give us a spirit that will help us to see the world the way God sees the world. And so God, I pray that we would have the eyes and ears of Jesus. God, I don't want to miss the answer to prayers. I want to be like Rhoda. I want to see the answer at the door. God, I pray that that would be each of our desires. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.